What is happening? Not after 30 lovers and likers of the Awkward Throat Clear. This is the Awkward Throat Clear host, Aaron Chalupa. I am very excited to introduce part two of Sitting Down to Unwind with Keegan Hind, or whatever the title is. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully you guys liked the first one. The audio was kind of weird. I got a new phone, and it had this interview setting to it, and uh, I thought it was kind of neat, but then once I was listening to it in my truck the other day, uh, it, it was like left speaker, right speaker. I don't know if that happened to you guys. It happened to me. Um, kind of aggravating. Kind of kind of interesting at the same time, but I don't know. I, I didn't really like it too much, so I'm not sure if that happens again in this episode or not, but I can tell you from a fa- for a fact right now, it probably won't happen again unless, any, unless we get like a... A bunch of emails saying that. Oh, no, that was actually pretty cool. It, it kind of had a little interesting feel to it, in my opinion, because you know you have one side of it and then you have the other side. Like you would actually hear conversation if you were in the middle of the table, uh, somewhat. Um, so yeah, that was kind of that was pretty neat. That was pretty neat. Uh, exciting things in my life. Uh, just had some days off. Got to run around. Um, went down uh, to the Rockies for a bit. It's nice to know that the fires are kind of slowing down there. I didn't go to work or anything like that. I uh, drove back up yesterday, and I'm still working. Uh, open season is upon us for hunting. Hope to get out my duck blind a little bit, and my deer blind at some point. Fill up the freezer. That's pretty fun, so maybe I'll have a few podcasts about hunting and uh, with my hunting buddies and see how that goes. Or maybe not. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Like, all kinds of things. You know the show. It's just random stuff. Just talking to my friends and just trying to talk about anything interesting that kind of catches your ears. Anyway, uh, this episode, it's the part two. Uh, there was that awesome cliffhanger of a trailer at the very end. Uh, to tune in ne- next week, it kind of reminded me of a Saturday morning cartoon back in the day. Uh, those of X-Men. And yeah, can sit down with Keegan. Tells me the rest of his sailing adventures in the south, uh, Southeast uh, Asia area, I guess it would be, went to the South Pacific. Um, kind of on the border between the Pacific and the Indian Ocean, I suppose. Still technically a Pacific, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know my oceans, you know, and the borders too well. Don't quote me on that. So he, Keegan makes his way uh, to continental Asia and buys a bike and bikes around, like pedal bike. Pedal bike. Can you believe it? I had a friend that motorbiked around uh, Southeast Asia, and he said that was hard enough. So I could only imagine the stories that he would tell us now. Anyway, without further ado, this is episode 24, big old 2-4 of The Awkward Throw Clear with Keegan Hind. <coughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to The Awkward <coughs> The Awkward Throat Clear. Now here's your host, Aaron Chalupa. Welcome back, Not After 30 Podcast listeners. This is Aaron Chalupa, the Chalupa Cabra. I'm back with Keegan Hind. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is part two, uh, where we left off. Uh, it was the cliffhanger. Cliffhanger of uh, getting to uh, Bali. I think, I can't exactly remember where it left off, but essentially that's where we're getting it. We're in Indonesia at this point. Yes, yes, yes. So you're also saying that it was... Uh, you're on bad terms. I think I think bad terms is the last word before it just cut. Yeah. So okay. it was perfect timing too because it was about an hour. So it was a really good cliffhanger. Anyway, without further ado, 
Continue on with Keegan's story. All right. So we've been sailing with Eve for about 20 days at this point on the on the open ocean and that was awesome like he was he was great um like i remember before we even got on board with him like christina and i were just like oh my gosh this might be like too good to be true we don't have to pay like we had to do with the last guy he just seems like a tired man who just wants to want people to share watch with him and to like share experience with him you know he just seemed like a down-to-earth fella so we're like that's great and the the actual sailing part of like in the open ocean was great. He was really, he was really lovely. Like I said, his English was pretty poor. Uh-huh. It was pretty broken conversation in English. Yeah. And so a lot of times he would be speaking French and we just have to make do. Or luckily Christina was good enough with her French that she could kind of roll with the punches with what he was saying. But that made it really hard to sort of really establish a strong relationship with him just mm-hmm. because we just had the language barrier. A full on language barrier. Yeah. 100%. But it was still great. It was still great. It was once we got to actual Indonesia. So the way it works with sailing is you land at the next port, you meet up with the portmaster. He finds out what your port of ent- origin was, and he finds out which you know what your destination is it's a it's basically like it's like a security and border check-in on an airplane going through an airport it's the mm-hmm. same thing and so he would have been very very he aware of like that's how it works he had, yeah. he had been sailing around the world by himself for a long time and it'd be weird we'd get to this tiny random island off very far eastern indonesia and we go to these port masters, which are basically dudes just in a t-shirt and shorts, not looking anything of profession, right? Mm-hmm. But they have, that's their title. And we'd have to check in. We'd have to give them the boat papers and all these things. And we had been told from other sailing networks and references, you know what, for these Asian countries, mm-hmm. just print just copies and copies of everything you need. Yeah. Just have handouts upon handouts. They love that shit. And so we did. Even though Eve was very against it. Eve was very like... Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think we need. We don't need all this paperwork. And it's like, you know what, Eve? We actually heard on pretty good terms that we should have a lot of this paperwork. And so he's like, okay, fine, we do. We get the paperwork. <laughs> and so he just would be really dickish to the local people. Like he would, we'd be at the port and we'd be talking to the harbor master, and you would just, while they're filling out and checking our paperwork and doing their job, you'd have Eve going. Same club there. It's crazy, no? That's like, what? What are you, what are you saying? He's, like, He's taking so long. Why is he taking so long? Excuse me. Can I have my paper back? And it's like, Eve, they're just doing their job. Yeah, don't be they're, rude. Don't be rude. His first impressions were miserable. Oh, man. They'd give him a coffee and he'd go, oh, lots of sugar in here, huh? I don't drink. Terrible. That's what he would say oh. to someone who would give him coffee, right? So yeah. it was tough. He quickly divided the Indonesians from himself, and he quickly divided us from them. Yeah, so it was quickly, guilty by association. Just like, we are not with this guy. Yeah. Especially when these like these ignorant people are saying, is this your, is this your grandfather? And he'd be like, no. no, no <laughs> very different, right? So we had to like totally tell them like what our relationship was. Yeah. And so the coastal sailing with him along the different islands just became... 
the tensions grew and grew and grew and our dislike for him increased even though we didn't have any like real falling out mm -hmm. we could just like we realized his character he's a shitty dude mm -hmm. and we couldn't even figure out why he was sailing actually it was like i don't know why you're traveling anymore because we realized he doesn't like any food that's not from france he doesn't really he gets stressed out from sailing mm -hmm. he doesn't really seem to like it anymore it's almost mm -hmm. like he was stuck in, in the sort of lifestyle that he was in. Um, and so it got really bad. At one point, he was sleeping, and we were on the boat, and we wanted to go to land. We were just docked, mm -hmm. and there's no reason for us to be sitting on this boat that we're already stuck on for most of the day anyway. Can we go on the land? Eve's the guy in charge of the dinghy, so we're not going to just, like, take his dinghy. Yeah. Lo and behold, this police officer, these two cops with, like, this big dinghy, this industrial dinghy comes up, and they climb right on board. Like, because we're foreigners, with a lot of Asia we found out after this point, mm -hmm. personal bubble isn't a thing, and it's mostly because you're just such an anomaly, and they probably, they just think of you like, they're, they're not going to get mad for us to go on the boat, right? So anyway, they jumped right on the boat, and we were like, whoa, guys, nice to meet you, salamat pagi, good morning, um, this isn't our boat. Um, again, very broken English to the Indonesians. Yeah. We have a French skipper who's sleeping. This is his boat. We need to ask permission for you. And he goes, and they're like, okay. They're instantly having cigarettes on, on this guy's boat. We're just like, Eve, um, there's a couple police officers here. No, no, no. C'est pas de problème. Uh, just, uh, and again, I'm just trying to do broken French for my broken Indonesian. Like, I'm trying to, you know. Anyway, I tell him, Eve, they, they offer to take us back to land. So we go to land. And that's sort of, he got this half jealousy, half just sort of, you're my crew, so I'm a little upset that you chose to do that. So he goes, well, you have to help me with the gaso in this afternoon, in the gasoline. Mm -hmm. And we said, yeah, no problem, Eve. We agreed on that. I want to help you. Can we have a time? Are we going to go to the same the same petrol place we went earlier today? We, we the mem shows. Okay, what time, Eve? Uh, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock, you be there. Like, that's how I talked mm -hmm. about it, right? So I was just like, okay, Eve, we do Okay, c'est pas de problème, d'accord, right? <laughs> and we're off, and we're, we're hanging out with Indonesians, we're now just swimming, we're happy, right? And we go on land, and we, you know, we have the rest of the day, and come 8 o'clock, we're at this place where he agreed with this other Indonesian to help him get petrol for his boat and fill mm -hmm. up all of his jerrys. Eve is nowhere to be seen. It's pretty dark at this point. We waited there for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Nobody was there. The shop was closed, basically, but we still said, fuck, I don't know. Like, Eve is supposed to work. I mean, he's got the dinghy, regardless. Yeah. The dinghy's got to yeah. get us back from either A, this point here, or B, the port where we're usually coming yeah. in and out, right? After waiting there for an hour, we go back to the little town we were in. It's about, like, a 20-minute walk. And Eve's nowhere to be seen anywhere. You can't even see the boat because it's so dark and he doesn't have any lights on. The mast light's not on or anything. And so we're just kind of like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden we see a flashlight at the very end of the pier. We walk over there, and there's Eve. And so, Eve, what's what's going on, man? And he was fuming. He was like, what's going on? Where were you? Where were you? And we're like, oh, Eve, we were waiting for you to help you with the petrol. He said, you were late. I said, Eve, what time did you go there? Now, Seven o'clock. Oh, Eve, you told us eight o'clock, man. So we were there waiting. And he goes, ah, oh, ah. Oh. I go eat now. I'm hungry. I go eat. We said, no, Eve. Please take us to the boat. We've been waiting here now for like three hours for you, and we need to sleep. He goes, no, you wait. And he leaves. He goes to walk in, and I, at this point, I'm a pretty easygoing dude. Mm -hmm. I was so just like jaded and fed up. 
the second he was at the end of the pier, I just put on my deep voice and I was like, Eve, if you go to any of those warungs, which are like Indonesian words for basically like food haunts, little places to eat, mm-hmm. you go to any of those warungs and I will tell every one of them not to feed you. And we've only been here for about four hours and I know that they like me because I'm a respectable person and I've been talking to them in Indonesian and I'm just a friendly guy. They will not feed you. And he instantly realized that that was true because he knows that he probably had a shitty impression on every person he met there. Mm-hmm. And he realized there's two nice Canadian people that have been hanging out their tiny little village, this little anomaly, mm-hmm. and they're nice people. And he turned around and he forcefully pushed us back in the, in the into the dinghy. And he's like, okay, we go back to the boat. And then I go eat. And we're like, okay, Eve, thank you. He's screaming at us on the dinghy. And he switches actually from broken English to just speaking in French, Friendship. knowing that Christina's mostly going to be the only one that understands him. Christina said that he was yelling on the dinghy, like basically saying, I'm not talking to him anymore. I'm only going to talk to you. And so Christina then told me later, like, I don't know what good he thought that was going to do him. I'm going to pick just talking to you and totally not talk to my partner. I'm not going to like choose your side over my partner's side. So I don't really know how he, that was going to help him. Anyway, he dropped us off basically at the end of his dinghy ride saying, I want you off my boat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he went back to eat. So now we're like, oh my gosh, this French guy is going to leave us in the middle of the Pacific Island or like an Indonesian island. Mm-hmm. It was like straight out of a movie. We're like, okay, we need collateral. So we grabbed all of our passports. We grabbed Eve's passport. We grabbed all of the copies of anything so that he wouldn't be able to even check out of this port. Yeah. Um, we packed up everything we had all our panniers packed the only thing that needed we had our bikes all taken apart so we knew we were still kind of fucked regardless like we're really at his mercy um and uh, i was just like i was just freaking out i was like christina like we gotta have a we gotta have a talk with him we can't just like try to find a way to like get off this boat like we have to sort of like simmer down and have a yarn and he was just like she just was so calm she's like we don't all we're gonna do is tomorrow we're going to sleep on this. He's going to come back in the boat. We're not going to even see him. We're all going to go to bed. And in the morning, like it's happened in other times, we've had little tiffs. He acts like nothing ever happened. We wake up, I come out onto the deck. Bonjour, bonjour, ça va? Et bon dormir, oui, merci. Right? That's how it was. But she told me, she's like, that's how it's going to go. And the next day, we're just going to bring our stuff onto the deck. And he's just going to realize it. And the next day, we sailed. We did a coastal sail with him one more whole day, almost silent the whole time. He didn't say almost a fucking word to us. Mm. A little bit in the morning, just again, just the bonjour, like, not going to talk about the fact that we just screamed at each other in the middle of the night. Yep. Right? That doesn't, that, again, just super unhealthy. Like, he just was just a, an unhealthy guy. Um, and that next morning, we just picked up all our panniers. There's like 12 bags now on the deck. He sees me bringing up a couple of bicycle wheels, and without any word, not even eye contact, he just gets up from like sitting on one of the little chairs on the deck with a dart in his mouth, and he just goes and he starts. He goes in the davit and he lowers the dinghy, just like it was just known. Okay, these guys are now checking out. Nothing needs to be said. Incredibly fucking awkward, and he just he lowers the dinghy. First load of stuff goes on the beach. Second load, okay, Eve, and he leaves, and he's now dropped us on this scorching hot little fucking beach on this island, the Flores Island, if you've ever heard of it. It's famous for, like, it has a lot of Komodos. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and and we built our bikes, and, and yeah, we found out that there's a tiny little airport 
and that the price was just good enough that they were willing to take us and our two bicycles and all of our bags for a decent price. The thing about Asia, which I wish it was in North America, is all baggage is done by weight. So it doesn't matter how many bags you choose to bring as long mm-hmm. as it's under a certain weight. Yeah. So for us, it was amazing, right? With, with that bikes makes and all total that. sense. It makes total sense. And they absolutely fuck us over here for that. Yeah. It's oh, oh, we're going to put the heavier bag in this part of the plane that can carry heavier things mm-hmm. for whatever reason, even though it's on the same fucking plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then that, you can only have so much weight in the bag. Oh, yeah. It's not that. It's by the piece for them, right? That's, yeah, They say exactly. the weight with the piece, but it's the piece that they care about. You got another piece? That's all right. It's $50, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no so anyway, and we, we flew to Bali. And we spent, uh, I think, about a month and a half cycling around Bali. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And then we flew from Bali to Kuala Lumpur, um, Malaysia, because it's a really cheap flight. Mm-hmm. Really cheap flights into Southeast Asia, like yeah, totally. in, in KL. KL, Kuala Lumpur, or Bangkok are probably your best bang for your buck. And so we, we used that to sail from KL to... Um, to Vietnam, to Saigon. So yeah, we literally like escaped this fucking sailboat. It was awful. And and there was talks of that. You look at all the different forums. There's many different forums for like hitch sailing. Yeah. Because there's plenty of skippers that are going to look for Joe Blows. Because sure, you want help. someone who's a vet, but exactly. And you just want eyes. You just want some person to do that two-hour watch, mm. right? So there's plenty of platforms to find those skippers to do that. Um, and we just heard so many terrible stories of being trapped on a boat with a skipper he didn't like. And it's probably because it's a pretty fucked up lifestyle. And I think every skipper's got a little bit of jadedness to them. Oh, totally. But, uh, yeah, I just remember saying, like, this is out of a fucking movie. We just got back on the boat. We just finished screaming at this fucking guy who we'd sailed with that we didn't really feel like was a good person. And he basically just threatened to kick us off his boat on a fucking tiny island. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what do we do? We need to take stuff from it. We need collateral. We need to make sure that this guy's not dropping us off yeah. for us to die kind of thing. Yeah. And so that's when I found that, that little airport. Price checked it enough to find out that it was it was worth paying the money to escape versus the maybe another week of, of sailing with him to Bali itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what got us to mainland Southeast Asia. That's good. Yeah. So would I, do I regret that sailing trip? Not at all. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Just even... Those 20 days of open blue, you know, where you just see nothing but maybe the odd tanker. Yeah. Which is also pretty crazy. That would be see pretty him surreal. In the distance right here. Yeah. And you go down, you come up in five minutes, and he's all the way on the other side of the horizon. Yeah. And they're so big and they're cooking so fast. It's crazy seeing those tankers. It's well, gigantic as well. Yeah. yeah. They're so huge. Yeah. Well, and like, not to mention like how much money you saved as well. Just splitting yep. the food costs. Yeah. And like, you didn't have to pay like to be on the boat at all that helped too that's crazy that, that made it that made it also super worth it yeah so that, cooking on a boat was fucking tough his oven was cool it was like it was hinged oh yeah? so that it it swayed with the wind oh or with the waves sorry waves, yeah 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 that was cool but it was still if we if you're like someone prone to seasickness yeah. cooking on a boat right it's just fucking miserable even worse you're yeah. just like in this stuffy cabin cooking some mr noodles <laughs> just like it's pretty much just like the <laughs> Steve Carell and what's his name, just like we have yeah. <laughs> Mr. Noodles today. Uh, yeah. on the side of potato noodles. Yeah. Waiters that get nauseous describing food. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it was it just was trying so to keep tough. it together. And he didn't help us cook once. Of course, yeah. He made us cook every single time and complain too. Mm. We'd make the food for him and he'd say, hey, it's overcooked, no? <laughs> No, you, you're just a dick. 
<laughs> so after uh, Bali, you hung out in Bali for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and then you went from Bali to India and then Nepal. No, no, we did all of Southeast Asia. Oh shit! Yeah. So after we pretty much and for that was, that was just done by fly, flying, right? Yeah, we flew from Bali to KL, KL to Saigon, Vietnam. Yeah. And we picked Vietnam just like because it's like okay, now we're on the furthest east of Southeast Asia, and we'll cycle it west. Yeah. So. Again, not too much planning. Um, have you ever heard of warm showers? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the website? Oh, no. No? Okay, no, sorry. It's a cool name, right? That's why I say it like that first. So, couch surfing. Yep. It's basically the same platform as just couch surfing. Just But, no, no, no. It's, it's called warm showers just because it's a nice, it's a funny sort of play on words. But it's basically couch surfing for people traveling by bicycle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you go into warm showers, you get the map like you would probably in like couch surfing or, you know, it just looks like Google Maps and you mm-hmm. see all the different hosts that might be in that area. Sweet. So we had lined it up when we land in Saigon, we'd stay with this, these, these two guys. It was a couple from, uh, I think one was Alaskan, one was Oregon or Washington. Mm-hmm. Really funny guys. One was a teacher who had been teaching in Vietnam. The other one was like a, an interior decorator or something rather. And they convinced us, because they're cyclists, they're like, you know what you guys should do now that you're in Saigon? You should do the Mekong Delta. Because everything south of Saigon is the, the Mekong Delta. It's pancake flat, so perfect for cycling. You guys will do almost 100 clicks a day, easy. Um, if you're going over a hill, it's probably a bridge. And so that's what we did. So we from Saigon, we went south. We did about a month of the Mekong, which was awesome, super cool. Just like we went from the ricketiest little, like, two by four bridge to like massive bridges yeah. like the waterways in there is crazy it's the only delta i've ever really experienced you know like that sort of you know a month worth of being around a, a massive substantial delta so that was cool so we went there we entered the, cambodia from the south because cambodia like vietnam sort of hugs the bottom of cambodia did two months in cambodia came back into vietnam so we're now in Vietnam in the skinny little point. Vietnam's got a fat bottom and a fat top. Yep. We're in the skinny part. We go up to Hanoi and cycled over to the Laotian border. Mm-hmm. And we were in Laos for about only 12 days. We we're basically just cutting across to get to northern Thailand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'd love to have stayed in Laos longer, but we had some commitments Thailand way. And we were also basically starving in Laos because... It was really mountainous, and there wasn't a lot of infrastructure for for feeding people. Like even Laosians, like there's there's no woman like the rest of Asia who's got her little place and she's cooking yeah. soup. Like that just didn't exist. It's just villages feeding each other. There wasn't any sort of yeah. eating places. So that we only found an eating place once a day. So oh, pretty much we'd find a bunch of bananas somewhere along the way. We'd take those. We know those would be breakfast. We'd eat breakfast. We'd sometimes find food as early as one. Most times we didn't find food till like four. Probably lost a crap ton of weight during this. And in Lao, I, I weighed myself when I got to like the first major town. I found like a scale of some sort. I was one forty three. Jesus. I was so skinny, man. Biking every day, especially in Lao, like it was so hot. Yeah. Like Vietnam, the mountains there were like the same sort of substantialness as like Lao, but mm-hmm. it was like once we crossed the border. All the overcast clouds of Vietnam stayed there, and it was like the same mountains, same grind of slugging up these hills. 
bluebird hot as balls days. No way. So it was just like it, we were we were dying in Laos. So it was literally like get us out of here. We need to like mm-hmm. so it was twelve days, just trying our best to get through it. And it was awesome. Like the I'd love to go back. I didn't do Lao justice at all. Like the language is really fun. People are very open. You know, you're biking along and kids are just fucking screaming down these hills <laughs> hills yelling, Sabidi just hello. Sounds like you're gonna come kill me. <laughs> um, we entered Thailand. We did most of Thailand, just the north, like mm-hmm. everything north of Bangkok. Um, two months in Thailand. We did a month in Burma. Yep. Which is awesome. One of my favorite places. Super eye opening. Very cool culture. Um, it's you can only get a visa for 28 days there. Um, so that's a little bit tough. And we did a 10-day meditation course. So that eats up 10 days right off the bat. You're just sitting your ass for 10 days and you don't really get to see anywhere. So it was that was tough cycling and trying to get to our destination, knowing we only had 28 days to bike to, spend 10 days there, and bike out of it back to Thailand. Um, but it was fun. And then back into Thailand for just a little bit to get down to Malaysia, because Burma doesn't connect with Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh went to Malaysia and that was awesome. Malaysia was one of our favorite places because it has, it's a Commonwealth country. If you, I didn't know that. I don't know if you know that. Like, Malaysia? Yeah. Malaysia's Commonwealth. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I wouldn't have, you know, if you would ask me if it was or wasn't, I would be like, I don't think so. But probably cause I mean, they had everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Burma, same thing. Burma's Commonwealth. Yeah. Um, so the Brits brought a lot of Indians from South India. Oh yeah. Tamil area. So, there's a full Indian culture. There's in a lot Malaysia. of Indians in the Caribbean as well, and South Africa or of Africa. Course, alone. Of yeah. course, they got shipped all over the yeah. place. But they really sort of made their own sort of. So you have that. You have the Chinese that came over to Malaysia for like the ceramics and stuff they do. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of mining to be done in Malaysia, and then you have the Malay. So you have all these three very different, distinct cultures, but they're Malaysian. Yep. And so that's really cool. And as a foreigner who's already geeking about the food, no matter what, it's like literally like, do you want to eat Malay food? Do you want to eat Indian food? Yeah. Chinese food? You know, every... it's, it's like a Western culture in an old country. You know, that's like you go to, to you, go, you go to Brazil or you go to Argentina. You go to Brazil or Argentina, like other places in, in um, South America as well. But for those, for sure, you have German cuisine. Because a lot of Germans went out there after the war um, because they just wanted to get a new life. Um, <laughs> and who knows what else, other reasons. Um, you have Spanish food. You have Portuguese food. You have a lot of African culture food. Yeah. You have all kinds of French cuisine as well. A lot of French people there. And I guess if you look at it like in a good way, right, you can look at it as like as terrible as a lot of colonization has been. I mean, that's a great thing to look back and be like, look, though, now we have all these different cultures and foods in this one place. Well, colonization, I would say, stemmed, uh, well, not didn't stem it, but uh, like it just kind of had that forceful immigration sense or migration where they would take people from here and there and everywhere, which is, again, I'm not saying this was a good thing, but it shows that, you know, people mingling isn't the worst thing in the world. Right. And that's not the best way to put it for an example, but I'm sure they get you know, our listeners get what you're saying. I, I really I hope they do. I, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So like, you you have refugees, which is a terrible thing. Like, no one should have to leave their home because they're starving, or there's a war or something like that. But you get the Irish coming into the United States or Canada, and they bring a lot of their culture and music and food and um, traditions and stuff. And then you have a lot of people from 
I don't know, let's say the Spanish Civil War that are refugees, or Ukrainians with the potato famine, famine or um, you know, the Soviets coming in. And everyone kind of works together and has different things going on, and it creates, I don't know, instead of being a city, like, oh, yeah, let's go to this you know, place or that place or whatever. Back in the day, it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe we should invite the, you know, maybe, maybe we should invite the O'Reilly's over for dinner, or maybe we should invite, invite the uh, Tchaikovsky's. Yeah. You know, like, do we want to have Polish tonight, or do you want to have Irish? You know, like, let's have a bit of a potluck or something. Yeah. And the funny thing was, is the Poles, the Irish, most of those European countries are heavily Roman Catholic. Right. So they could all go to the same church together in a small town because they only had one Catholic church. Yeah, that's true. But and then you have a big potluck together. Yeah. So you have, you know, potatoes, you know, from an Irish family cooking something up and maybe like a nice beef stew or something. Yeah. And then the Polish, they make some, you know, type of pierogi and some kind of, um, you know, potato pancake. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's just awesome. So It's diversity. Like, and, 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 and you have music cases, playing. Diversity is only beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very interesting, too, because, like, a lot of those, being Catholic, a lot of those countries, they could communicate through Latin back in the day. Right. Back in the day. Right. That was the that was the Bible and everything, too. Yeah. And a lot of, the, a lot of that um, text and everything was in Latin. So I find it quite quite uh, quite interesting yeah. with, um, you know, I, I think for me it's, like, a, a big topic I usually have with anybody about um, diversity, immigration, refugees, all that kind of stuff in the end. It's quite an interesting thing to observe, you know, and we're going through that now where we haven't seen a huge migration since um, the end of World War Two, like in, in the, like mass numbers like that, because so many people just wanted to leave pre and post World War Two. But you see that with Africa because they have certain wars sometimes or a new change of government. You see that in Asia, too. I think it's quite cool. And so, like, when you bring up Malaysia. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. It is fascinating. very fascinating. And then you throw in the. I mean, we're just talking about the food, which is one thing I learned in living in Asia for over a year. Like, that's the way of their heart. They care so much about food. food all, you gotta, thing, man. all you gotta do is say their food is dope, and they're like, "Well, you know what? I think you're dope." <laughs> it's all it takes, right? <laughs> but take food aside. They also have their religious thing that you got going on in Malaysia. So you got a predominantly Islam country. Mm-hmm. So that's the Malay. Mm-hmm. But then you have Tamil Indians mm-hmm. who are Hindu. Yep. And then you have the Chinese, mm-hmm. who are Buddhist. Yeah. Again, they're all Malaysian, though. Yeah. And even though there has been civil war and there have been conflict between those three, for obvious reasons of immense, immense differences, mm-hmm. they're doing it, man. In that country alone, they're all Malaysian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm sure it's almost similar to Indonesia as well. Yeah. Indonesia is a, a largely Muslim country, as mm-hmm. far as I understand. But I'm sure compared to like mainland Indonesia, who you know, there's parts of mainland, I believe. I have, I have not been to Southeast Asia, so my geography of Southeast Asia isn't the best, but I believe there's parts of Indonesia that is land. No, not at all. It's all islands, eh? But One really close to Malaysia. Okay. Sumatra is one of okay. is, I think, like, the biggest island. That's, like, just right there. But I'd be willing to bet. And, like, this is just me guessing, because I don't really know that much about Indonesia, except for a few of the names, like Java and Jakarta <laughs> and things like that. But I'm willing to bet that uh, they have a large Indian population. Yeah, they would. Ethnically, Indian population. They probably have a few Malay that have come over. They have probably a lot of, obviously, a lot of Indonesians. And they probably have a lot of other people, you know, kicking around there, too. And Singapore is part of one of the islands, is it not? No, like, like, as in, like, Singapore is Indonesian? Mm, No, no, it's not Indonesia. No, it's actually actually mainland. 
It's actually this tiny little, it's the tiny little tip of the bottom of Malaysia. You can look at it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And that had a huge Indian presence as well during the British colonial times. For sure. Because that was the main army for the British was a giant Indian army. They were like the main, the main funds to, Mm -hmm. yes, Singapore had a huge role. It was a big trading, trading post there. So in World War One, when they, when the American, sorry, the British lost it, it was devastating. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I digress. And talking to Flo about, because I learned about like the, the Dutch Sorry, colonization. Two, I believe. Yeah, Flo would have an idea of that. I was great. He, did, I was happy he did, man. Because I mean, like you know, there's plenty of plenty of Canadians that still don't know fucking anything about our Canadian history, let alone world history. So I was just like, Flo, give any idea why when I was in Indonesia, you would hear the different names that they'd use for countries, and some of them were normal. Canada, they're going to say Canada. Mm-hmm. France, they actually call France Francis. So I had to learn that from Eve. Once I realized Eve, they're saying like, from which country? And I'd say France. They say Francis. Oh, okay, Francis. And so I realized <laughs> France. They called Netherlands, the Netherlands, um, like, Berelas or something like that. And I was okay. like, well, that's really different. Why is that? And so I asked Flo. Once then I asked them, like, what's the deal with why is the Netherlands getting and they're like, well, they're colonized by the, we're colonized by the Dutch. I was like, Oh shit! Yeah, didn't yeah. Know that. A lot of Southeast Asia, the Caribbean, and South America were yeah. colonized by the Dutch, and some parts of Africa too. And it's so terrible and cool at the same time to think that it was mostly for spices. Like <laughs> it was mostly for spices. Because man. you look at and Dutch food and it's so bland. <laughs> a lot of Europe, Sorry, Flo. a lot of Europe, like went over to Indonesia and Malaysia and all those places, and it was strictly spice mm-hmm. trade. And that's mm-hmm. really cool at the same time to think like spice humans still really wealth. loved and needed food and they wanted to make it better. And they unfortunately knew that there's other parts of Earth that grow really good spice plants that we need to take back to our place on Earth. I'm gonna ask you: Do you know why India Pale Ale is called India Pale Ale? I don't. So if you ever go to the Halifax uh, Alexander Keats Brewery, it's a good, it's a fun tour. The beer shite. Yeah. Um, IPA comes from, and I've told this to listeners before if they listen to the beercation episodes. Um, it's India Pale Ale because it was a pale ale that could last the trip to India. So hops are a natural preservative. So the more hops you put into a beer, the longer it should last. Get fucked. Yeah. So it could last the voyage for that length, and it was very refreshing in that heat as well because it gives that nice little bitterness and everything. And if you use certain citrus hops, too, like as, we, as we found a, f- a few days ago with yeah. that, uh, the double IPA from Snake Lake Brewing Company. Shout out. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a natural preserver that helps last for those trips. So the, you know, the British ship might go from, oh, England to Halifax, or St. John's, St. John's to Halifax, Halifax to Montego Bay in Cuba. Yeah. Montego Bay, Cuba, right? Or Jamaica? Jamaica. I think Jamaica. Cuba. I can't remember the Sad Rogers song. I know it's a place, though. I think Jamaica. I think it's Jamaica. And then you go down to South America, and then down to South Africa, and then South African India. It would have to, like, they would have barrel-aged beers that would last all the way to India. That's so fucking cool, man. And so that's where the name India Pale Ale comes from, is that it could last that voyage. That's cool. I'm going to tell everybody that, especially since so I made my shit. everything is food, drink, and, you know, traveling, and then connected to music as well. Yeah. Full circle. Um, yeah, man. No, it's 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 interesting what the the colonies and that whole idea came from, you know. Yeah. So marvelous. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> anyway, then after Malaysia, we flew to Nepal. We did about two months in Nepal. We did a little bit of trekking, um, and then 
we went to we flew to Mumbai in India. Yep. Mumbai is on the west coast. Formerly uh, Bombay. Formerly Bombay. Yep. <laughs> Solid twenty three million people hanging out in that city. Only twenty three million. Small place really. <laughs> Two thirds of Canada essentially. And uh, Christina and I were separate there. Actually, she was doing her own thing, and I was doing my own thing there. We had like different, different things we wanted to do. And that's that's actually a good thing to do. It's, it's yeah. it can get very tiring being with the same person yeah. that long. It actually was awesome, and like I was pretty terrified. It's funny. I was terrified of India. Mm-hmm. I was terrified of Nepal even. And it was funny because I would I actually before even going to Nepal by the time I was in Malaysia it had been over a year that I had been living with in Asia, but just something about he'd listen to every traveler you'd meet and they'd they'd you know you do the traveler talk and you ask where you ta- where you been where you yeah, going kind going, of thing, yeah. and every time when they talked about India it was just horror stories which they almost everybody throws out horror stories anywhere everywhere and our biggest thing was asking about food just because we're like cycling and that's our fuel right so it's like <laughs> you guys went to burma we're gonna go to burma how do you like food talk to a french guy oh it's terrible oh it's so oily man oh it's not good burma was some of the best food we had in the whole fucking trip man no way so anyway you're just but, peddling like, your dream of this amazing food <laughs> oh god oh my gosh man we were in vietnam <laughs> we we're eating like 20 times a day fuck so yeah it's cheap and it was just so good but, um, yeah, so I was terrified. I was terrified of Nepal. I shouldn't have been terrified, but just because it's, it's similar to India in the sense that it's a pretty populated, like, you know, Hindu country. I just knew there's going to be quite a bit of differences and stuff. But once I was in Nepal for two months, I was just no problem in Nepal. Terrified still of India. Still terrified. But I always wanted to go to rural India. Rural India seems like a good time. It doesn't take much to get to rural India. No, for sure. Like, yeah. it's just, I hear horror stories about the city centers, and I'm terrible with poverty. I feel so bad seeing like how impoverished everyone is, and I'm like, oh, how much would this cost? Oh god! And like, and go to Canada, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not doing so well. <laughs> it's like um, the funds are really low. Are you doing as bad as India? No. Oh yeah, quick complaint. Uh, yeah. But rural India just looks so gorgeous. Like, you see I'll move? tell you what, Loops. There's nothing to worry about India at all. Everything that anybody told me about India is poppycock. Poppycock. Oh my god. It's Amazing! I and see the Darjeeling Limited. I see the Darjeeling Limited. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it's a great movie for India. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think I'm gonna appreciate yeah. it now that I've coming back from <laughs> India and going there. I've been watching it. I've been meaning to. Yeah. No, like that part of the, like that part of the world. I really like the like the North India. Like I have, I had a friend, um, two former guests, Kyle Volk and Misty Miyagi. Misty Miyagi. Misty Seastrom. <laughs> Her Facebook name is Miyagi. Um, they went to Ladakh. Uh, oh, India and okay. to play in a hockey tournament, uh, the highest elevation they set a Guinness World uh, Record, what? participating in this tournament. Yeah, and it was actually quite uh, remarkable. I'll give you a link um, to check out the, the this short little documentary that was on I think Daily Planet. Okay. It was very interesting because like it was cold enough to have the the game or the, the tournament, but uh, it's so close to the sun that the sun like will crack the ice too That's and then the oxygen was so crazy as well like people would have to like take shifts That's like short shifts core. it was insane like it's a real feat for huh. you know activity even goalies would like just be standing there and they'd have their oxygen mask and they'd have to breathe just because they're sitting there with all that weight it's fucking hard out it's interesting you'll have, have to take a look at the take a listen to yeah, that podcast for uh, sure should have been award winning uh, <laughs> um, but yeah it seems so interesting and I was just watching Anthony Bourdain uh, Parts Unknown I've been getting into that god damn it Foxcross Sierra Lima Romeo <laughs> see what fixed wing planes we're right next to the airport 
Um, yeah, I've never been in. I've just gotten a huge kick of this guy. I, yeah. I, I, you know, terrible that he passed away, you know, months ago. Uh, tragic way, too. But, uh, like, he's got a hell of a TV show. Parts Unknown on CNN. And I just watched it on YouTube. And he went to Newfoundland. And he's, like, a whole hour special. You know, him going to Newfoundland and St. Pierre Macalon. And just trying out the different cuisine. And in Newfoundland, I didn't even know this at the time. Like, I've been there twice. Three times. I've been there three times. Twice. And you can sell wild game in a restaurant. You can order wild game. Huh. It's not like farmed elk or farmed bison. No, you can, like, somebody will hunt something and they'll bring it to the restaurant and they'll cook it, cook it up and sell it to you. Nice. Uh, I thought it was a, quite remarkable. Anyway, he's kind of a badass too. And he goes to some really cool places. So he did Tangiers and uh, Bhutan. So Bhutan. That's what I was like getting to is that looks like such a cool little area. Bhutan, yeah. Nepal, North India. Like, it looks remarkable. And that's another uh, country that has quite the blend of the ethnicity people uh, or the ethnic people um, where, you know, you have some people that almost look like they should belong in, like, China or Nepal, but they have almost a similar accent to, you know, people in North India. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting, too, and like, it's a, quite a blend. And they're mainly Buddhist, I believe. And so, in Bhutan, Bhutan, Bhutan yeah. is, yeah. yeah. I met a Bhutanese guy. I did a, a permaculture farming course in Nepal, and he was a nice guy. I actually learned it's pretty hard to travel in Bhutan. Have you looked at Have you looked it up? I haven't looked at traveling there, but from but from uh, <laughs> from look at watching uh, the parts unknown uh, episode there, he was saying how it's difficult to travel there because they don't want so many a high concentration of travelers they're like, like much, Nepal. They're pretty much looking at Nepal exactly. And yeah. Saying, we don't want that. I don't want that. Well, and their infrastructure is not that good, and they only have so many people, and it's, I wouldn't say it's impoverished, but they have their way of life, and I think only a few people that are backpackers could really, like, I think they're being smart. Be okay I there. no problem with the fact they're doing that. Well, it's also their environmental uh, consciousness, like, the conservation of the, the environment there. They're, and I, I think that's fucking fine. Yeah. It's totally, like, I completely agree. It's like 250 bucks a day for you to be there as a foreigner. Really? It's like $250 a day, uh, need to have a guide, need to have, um, your accommodation has to be like a certified place, can't just be any willy-nilly hotel. Yeah. This has to be the only, it's probably going to be the only hotel in that town mm-hmm. that's going to be certified to host a foreigner, which was like that in Burma too, is pretty tough. Um, with like their military coup that they had for like 50 years, it's pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. repressed in that sense that you got to... So some, some hotels are going to get business, some aren't kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Bhutan's pretty cool. She, there's one girl showing me pictures there's this famous there's you'll see on just like any traditional house this massive awesome monumental penis yep i saw it in the, have you in the and it'll be surrounded by a dragon and yep. that's like it's, that's the thing it's it's totally like fertility like they're just protecting their fertility with this penis dragon they're, they're worshiping the the penis dragon love it yeah, yeah it's cool <laughs> the one-eyed dragon and the dragon <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they're talking about that in the in the anthony bourdain special there i'm sure it would come up yeah <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he's like oh man all the jokes all gotta, the jokes gotta, gotta. we can't just make this whole doco a bunch of pictures and murals and so then, then he's the buddy, the buddy that he's with he's just like oh yeah you know like okay this much this much okay and he looks at anthony bourdain he's like should i give him a tip <laughs> <laughs> should, I, should i give him the tip that's funny <laughs> bourdain's just like oh for fuck's sakes well when i left nepal to go to india I was just like, I did another meditation course, another 10-day course, um, 
just because I wanted to take that opportunity. Um, and then all I thought was I need to go and see the Himalayas one more time because mm. I knew I only had about a month and a half until I was going to be finally going home. The wildlife there just seems so spectacular. Oh, you got it's... snow leopards, you got the vultures, you got all that kind of stuff. Nepal's got hyenas. Like, I didn't even realize. Do they? Yeah, man. They got a lot of crazy like, stuff. Like, legit eat. hyenas or, like, some kind of wild dog? No, hyenas. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because there's parts of Nepal that are full-on, like, subtropical tropical yeah yeah of yeah. course yeah like that that fuck that area is just so diverse and like everyone's like oh it's just mountains and cold and like indiana jones raiders of the lost ark right it's like snow all the time and like mount everest it's like, no not all the time no not really no. it was pretty uncomfortably hot a lot too <laughs> um but yeah like so arid hot too. i just i shot right up from sweaty mumbai all the way up to yeah. like the you know frigid so i was in a town called manali um it's, it's pretty known for like tourists to be sort of like a an easygoing mountain town, pots just growing on the hillsides everywhere kind of thing. So it's like sort of like a, a Western hippie destination. But I just really just wanted to go there to be in the foothills of the mountains one more time. So I was there for about 10 days. And I really wish I didn't do it this way because I went from sweaty India to cold India. And then I went back to sweaty central India. I went yeah. to a city called Hyderabad. It's kind of like a really tech city. And I did, uh, Christina and I met up again. We did the permacul- uh, permaculture international permaculture conference and convergence there so that was really cool got to meet people from all over the world practicing sort of sustainable farming and agriculture and bada bing bada boom bud after two years i went back to canada and caught caught our christmas and too I've easy been home ever since and that was what year is that for christmas uh december of this this last christmas so 20 you've been gone for two years Essentially, I'm. Oh, that's incredible. Well done. Yeah, man. <laughs> so thanks to this firefighting money. Yeah. I mean, let it be known that I was living in a tent with my partner pretty much every day. We were taking that thing up and putting it down every day, mm-hmm. and we were biking everywhere. So that's going to cut costs. Big time. And I was talking to other people like, I don't have any bills. I didn't have a cell phone bill. I didn't have any rent to pay. I didn't mm-hmm. have any car insurance, right? So that's something to think about. Um, you can do it. You can milk it. And you don't have to be as vagabondy as I did it, but, like, mm-hmm. you can do two years of just traveling abroad for sure. Oh, yeah, easily. You can yeah. do five if you really wanted to. For sure, but, like, it's just, like, it's hard for some people to wrap their heads around that. Oh, believe me. Yeah, like, when you're, like, I thought you were just gone for a year, mm-hmm. but it was, like, two, holy shit, that's a, that's a good time to be away from home yeah. or away from, like, your family and stuff. If I was gone for two years, I think my mom would have had a heart attack. But it's really cool because once I did come home, um, some of the things that my parents would say to me, like some of the stories that were talked about, it was like, why didn't you bring that up in like the last 20 years that I've been with you guys? Yeah. Like it was just like that, that separation was awesome. They mm-hmm. tell me things about the Yukon that when they lived there that they never thought to tell me. Yeah. And I've been telling them for many years before I left that I plan on living in the Yukon or I'd like to live in the North. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me stories that I just said. Oh, the same about. thing with me and like uh, traveling. You know, my, my mom and dad would tell me stories about when they went to go traveling on their like the honeymoon, or my dad when he did other things. So like back in the day when Eastern Europe was communist, mm-hmm. um, not exactly like Bhutan, but you would always have to withdraw so much money from a bank uh, if you're in a communist country, because okay. it's still their their money, right? Their economy. Right. Um, so you would have to take out I don't know, let's say. 500 check crowns or something like that 
and then the value for it to be exchanged it was so shitty that you're better off just buying something. So that stimulates the economy. But you have to withdraw so much a day. It's like, okay, well, how much can I actually spend? Because you can't spend it all on food and beer because food and beer is really cheap. Right. You know, you'd be able to get like a full plate of food for the equivalent of like three Canadian bucks at the, like back in the 70s right. or 60s. Um, and then a beer would probably cost you like 50 cents for a whole liter of beer and like good, good beer too. So, okay, well, if I have to withdraw 500 and I'm only spending, you know, uh, 10 on each meal, how am I going to get rid of the rest? So you just keep buying shit or you give it to family or something like right. that. Because my dad had family over there. Right. Um, and then you'd have to take your passport and get it stamped at an official government official um, building. So whether it was a post office or a police station or something like that to have proof. And we actually kind of experienced that in, where were we, Croatia, just this last winter. Okay. When I, oh, sorry, last fall when I went with Travis and Nelson. Uh-huh. And we went to a border and... I was like, okay, well, how, where, where have you been? Like, how long have you been in these places? So we told them that we're each place for about, what was it? I think three days was the limit. If you were anywhere for longer than three days, you'd have to get a stamp at the hostel or the hotel that you're at. And I thought it was so strange because Croatia's not communist anymore. Neither is Bosnia or any of these places. I don't know why you need it. It didn't cost, cost you any money. Just, yeah. But it was just a paper trail kind of thing. Yeah. I'm sure you weren't being some kind of douchebag or whatever. Huh. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was so odd. And so we're thinking in the back of our, in the top of our brains. It was like, oh, yeah, we were here from the 12th to the, the 14th. And we left the 14th. And we just made some stuff up. Because yeah. some places were there longer than other ones. But it's just like, okay. And she's like, okay. Yeah, it was pretty funny. We're, we were at the, at the border of um, leaving. You know, we're coming back. We're leaving bosnia to go into croatia and there's this lady there um pretty attractive uh but she's just like she's just like um it's, it was dark and we all had hats on and you know it's just like nelson was growing his beard out a little bit travis and i had beards i, I had a really big beard going on and then our passport photos um my beard is much smaller and then travis doesn't have one i don't think nelson has one either and she's just like you all have beards <laughs> it's just like yeah, it's just like, and I'm like, just kind of laughing. I'm like, well, you don't like them? She's like, no. Oh, <laughs> so we're like, oh, shit, we're going to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't think we're attractive either. No, oh, damn it. We can't use that on her to get by. So, yeah, we had a pretty good laugh about that. The, the borders in the Balkans were pretty tough just because of refugees, um, you that know, coming sense. from Syria and stuff. Right. And even Hungary has a wall built between Hungary and Serbia. Shit. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, there's a really big, like, Serbia was really strict with their borders, because when we were coming from Macedonia to Serbia, um, they, like, ha we were at the border for quite some time to make sure that we weren't uh, transporting anybody illegally, uh, where we were from, make sure we didn't have drugs, all that kind of stuff. And they, their English wasn't very good at all, so I'm like, no, we're firefighters, you know, fire, yeah, we'll put it out, you know, you know, things like that. And it's like, okay, no drugs. And it's like, no, no, no drugs, no. And I just want to be like, oh, I really want to be a cop, you know. So I didn't say that. But it's like, yeah, no, 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 no drugs. Alcohol? No, no alcohol. And, like, I think we had a bottle of wine. It's like, yeah, wine. And it's just like, okay, that's fine. But, yeah, like, they, we were there for, like, 15 minutes. And they're just, like, we weren't going to get in trouble. They didn't ask us to step out of the vehicle or anything or open the trunk. But it's just like. They just wanted to ask us, keep asking us questions, and then the language barrier kind of took a little while, too, so. Take a little while, man. Yeah. Fuck, we had a couple hour border crossings before. 
Oh, for sure. No, we had a one. I think we were there for 45 minutes going from um, Hungary to Croatia. That took us a long time to get across. Mm. Yeah. And we were on a bus, so they really took their time, you know, going through every single for passport sure. and who's yeah. who and all that kind of shit. That, we were always afraid. Uh, no, maybe at first we were afraid, like, checking our bags. Not like we had anything bad. There's times where we were picking up weed and stuff like that, you know, but, like, we never had a worry that, like, People were going to, like, the borders would check our, our stuff. And it never happened. Every time, it was more like, you sorry sons of bitches, be on your way. You guys are traveling by bicycle. <laughs> you know? People would ask us, like, did they check your stuff? Never. Did you guys ever have any bad stuff? It was like, most of the countries we were in, we had something that they consider illegal, probably. But yeah. they're not going to check our bags. If they really wanted money from you, they, they'd find something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have to grease the palms kind of thing. Uh, I had a quick question about the warm showers. Is that just for like Southeast Asia or that it's like anywhere in the world? Everywhere in the world. No kidding. Uh, Like some people, and the other thing is like I wish I do tell people about warm showers because I think it's so awesome, right? But some of them are real sticklers. Some of the hosts are sticklers that like it actually actually has to be someone traveling by bicycle. Yeah. Like this guy has to be, this guy has to have a bike with him for him to stay at my house. Yeah. And then we stayed at other people's places and heard that it's like, I don't care. It's just like, couch, it's just another platform I have mm-hmm. so that I can host people. You know, people that are on Makes couch sense. surfing might not be on warm showers or vice versa. So I just, so yeah, I always recommend that people look in warm showers and try, even if you're not traveling by bicycle, because there's, it's a different clientele. And that's what a lot of the hosts would say. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm on couch surfing. But I like warm showers more. It's like, why do you like warm showers more? If you ask me, they're pretty much the fucking same. It's a different clientele. They're like, I know who I'm going to get. I'm going to get this sorry son of a bitch who's choosing to travel by bicycle, bicycle. in this random country than someone who's just on a, a bus or something like that, who's just a little bit more well-known. I'm gonna, they're gonna, and the other thing is, it's just so cool because you would... Well, it might be that respect as well. It's like, hey, right on. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. And it was awesome because you could just... The, 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 the dinner would be more like... Okay, I see the route you guys are going to take. Fuck that shit. That route sucks. Mm-hmm. You go on this route, it's super quiet. It's coastal. Nobody ever goes on it. Mm-hmm. Things like that. That's why warm showers would be Better view for a bike. You know, it's more biker-friendly as it's well. more biker-friendly. They're just like, they're going to they're gonna know the good routes that someone who's just couch surfing might not know. Totally. No, yeah. again, it's always nice to have that insider information as well. And that's why I love, like, staying at hostels, but opposed to, say, motels or hotels or whatever you choose. Like, and even, like, if I was at the point of tenting it, I might even still go with a hostel if possible, like here in, in the middle of nowhere, just because you have that person that has that experience. They know the area. They have the connections, possibly. Yep. And instead of just you, just kind of like you're dealing with a, a camp attendant. That's it. Yeah, that, that was if we actually were camping in a campground. Yeah, no, I totally exactly. agree. I, there was many times where I was saying, if... If we can afford it, Chris, let's try to get a hostel today because it's our only our second day in this country. If we find a good hostel, we can get a little bit of intel with somebody. You know, there was times where I felt like I was being sheltered by picking the tent. And you know what? Staying in a bed for you guys was probably a good luxury. Oh, that was nice then. taking the break to have the, the hostel. We didn't do many hotels. We did do some. Because you're, we're every now and then, you know, we were pretty forced to. It's like in your Vietnam, you're not going to pretty, you're not going to find a squirrely place to duck off in. A lot of times, it's going to be somebody's rice paddy, or there's going to be a cow walking by. You can't really, can't really hide away. Some kind of wildlife that might fuck with you. Yes, exactly. So it was a treat for sure. It was bed and bed and showers, a little so, bit of TV. And what's the plan for, for uh, you this winter? Uh, you were talking about doing uh, some farm work up in Hay River, Northwest Territories. Yep, I'm going to volunteer at the Northern Farm Training Institute in Hay River, Northwest Territories. Um, 
see how it goes. Yeah. I'm going to do the harvest season with them, which they're going to want me for, for sure. Um, but I'm hoping to do uh, all of winter. The longest volunteer that's been there was like four months, I think. Oh, wow. I think I saw in a review. You're going to break that. I'm like, man, I'm staying a lot longer than that. Like, so right after that, you can just come right down south a couple hours. I think it's a five, four-hour drive. It's four from here, three to high level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, just come right back down and come back to firefighting? Potentially. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. You never say never, right? Yeah. I mean, You're I didn't. Around the doorstep. I didn't think that I would be, you know, being able to be a vagabond for two years off that same piggy bank, mm-hmm. and now become a government employee again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you never say never, but we'll see. We'll see. Yes, but well. yeah, I just want to. I just want to have. I just want to do a winter in the boreal north. I want that experience. Yeah, fuck that. It's cool up here. You're gonna have a, I, a lot of people don't like, or they shiver at the idea of, you know, a northern winter because of the lack of hours in the day. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I like winter when it's dark. It suits the season. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you like your winter in the daytime. You get to see things, and it's cool. And daylight's daylight. You get your vitamin D. But I don't know. It's just something with the season uh, that I think, you know, it, me growing up in Grimshaw, we'd only have about five hours of daylight, maybe four, um, depending on the month. I always liked it. It was very somber, uh, very ominous as well. And I don't know, it just suits the mood. It kind of gave me a warm feeling. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of hard to I do, actually, do. No, I do. I do. I think it's another cool, cool thing with nighttime in winter is unless it's pitch, pitch black, you still can see the snow. Mm-hmm. It's still like this glowing white thing on the ground and pitch black. You're like, I still see ground because I'm I'm in wintertime and it's dark like it should be, but I still have snow all around me and I can it's, see it. It's just something mystical where you can walk in the woods and just stop and that ambient sound yeah no wind nothing you just hear like you can hear the snow falling yeah and you just look around and that's it and everything's looking at you and you can't see anything it's pretty cool it's very very cool so and hey river would be a pretty sweet place to go check out it's a gigantic lake with all kinds of giant tankers that used to be there it's it's almost like you're on the ocean <laughs> it's pretty fucking wild um so yeah, you're gonna have a fucking great time. That's that's for sure. And I haven't even yeah, I haven't even checked it out yet. I haven't even checked it out yet. I was hoping to do Yellowknife one of these. I haven't been to Yellowknife in probably about four or five years now. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I used to go up there like every summer back in the day. So I was almost hoping to do that. So we'll see. Go once we get on the five and two schedule, just a quick little zip up to Yellowknife for the weekend. Ooh, that's how we jump on the same schedule. We both get on those five and twos. Yes, sir. That's what I was thinking. I hate how you guys are on a different schedule than us. Yeah, I know. I hate it, too. I really wish I was on 15 and 6. Six days off is just so much better than four. Of course. Yeah. Especially up here. I don't mind working the extra five days for it. Oh, well. Um, yeah, we're, we're getting close to the, the hour. We're nearing the hour mark, so I just figured I might throw out some, some little uh, questions for you here. Okay. How has traveling made you a better person? Um, that's a tough question to answer. Or how has it changed you? I guess it's just made me more aware of the different cultures on this earth. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, you got the theory, the theor, the, like, you know, you have your theory of the knowledge that you have, but until you have that experiential knowledge, you really don't know it, mm-hmm. right? I can try my best to explain to a Mexican who's never seen snow what snow is going to be like, but yeah. unless he experiences it or she experiences it, they don't actually know. Mm-hmm. So I think that I've just, like, that has absolutely changed me. I've now, like, been exposed to, like, these different places on Earth and how they're living, and it's just so vastly different than us. Mm-hmm. 
And on top of that, I guess it's made me a little bit better because I think there's some tools that they use over there and some ways that they live that I think are so healthy and so beneficial that I've managed to been able to take them and bring them back home. And I think that's only going to make me a better person, you know? There you go. Yeah. So you're not a better person yet, but you're on the way. I'm on the way. <laughs> I think it's I think it's helped me for sure. What's the thing that you stop worrying about when you're traveling? A lot. Cleanliness. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of dirt the tolerance of cleanliness or body odor go out the window. Eh? Oh man, yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess like the way I like the way we were doing it, it was just like it was sleep, eat, drink water, and experience, and that's all we were doing every day, right? So all you're really worrying about is okay, where are we gonna eat next? we have water and then come five six o'clock as i'm biking i'm looking for a a place that looks like it might have water and it's a suitable place that we could sort of tuck off in and no one's going to see us Mm -hmm. eventually those are the things that we focused on the most right it's incredible how important water is when you're not in a first world country anymore even you're a first world country i remember being in australia and we're a place called coral bay which is quite remote and you have two different taps like in the kitchen, there'd be like one sink here and there'd be a sink over there. Now they wanted you to wash your dishes with this other sink because that was potable water. Right. And there's the drinkable water. And I remember talking to the one guy that was driving with me. I'm like, okay, you, you take care of the water. I'll go pack up the food and all this stuff, blah, blah, Because we have like a good trip and I'm not sure when we'll have fresh water again or the ability to go to a tap and get yeah. that much water. Because like we filled up jugs and jugs and jugs, like four liter jugs, probably about six of them wow. of water just to make sure. And, like, I drink a lot of water in a day. I, I like to, uh, I'm kind of like a camel. That's awesome, though, good. Uh, especially in Australia where it's so bloody hot. Like, plus 40, not a good time. No. And you've experienced that, too. Um, so, when I did get to, when we did open, like, these other jugs that I knew weren't the ones that I filled, it was, like, this really weird taste. And, like, I kind of spit it out. And I'm like, uh, where did, which tab did you fill these from there, Ben? And he's just like, oh, from this one. I'm like... Like, that's the not drinking water. And so, like, we only had one jug of fresh that we already went through, and then the other five were just not drinking water. So we were fucked. And we were camping out at night, and I'm like, I'm going to get so fucking thirsty, this is going to be brutal. And, like, we had beer, but that's not going to help us at all. No. And so that night, we were talking to the Swiss family, and they had this big camper van. And I'm like, hey, do you guys, like, have a jug of water you could spare? Like, I'm very sorry. Like, we'll give you some money. And they give us this fucking, like, you know one of those, like, giant jugs of water? Like, it was, like, the, like, uh... It must have been like a fucking eight liter or ten liter, and I had like a little handle at the top. Oh yeah. They gave us one of those. I couldn't be more thankful. The grateful to them is like, wow, thank you so much. I think we gave them like ten bucks Aussie or something like that, and they were like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, no, I insist. Who knows how long you guys are gonna be traveling for too? And like, oh, we have more, and so like they had their kids there too. I'm like, well, I don't. I, it just makes me feel better to do this in front of your kids. Like, yeah. hey, thank you for helping us out. That gives them maybe like, oh, we should help people out too. So it was very nice of them. And I was just so fucking That's great. Really I was cool like, because like, that was like, wow, I've never had to worry about water in my life before. Yeah, up right. Until this moment. I remember, have you ever heard of the podcast Radio Lab? I have not, no. Um, I was listening to this podcast and this Indian guy was talking about um, when he first moved from India to the States, one of the biggest, like, biggest sort of wow factor moments. He's having a shower, and it just dawned on him, oh, my God, all I have to do is open my mouth, and I can drink the same water that I'm using right now to bathe. Yeah. 
He's like, that was humongous for him. It's He's crazy. Like, Holy shit. And there's people in Australia that I met while in Nova Scotia that were so baffled that we could just water our lawn. Like, we have enough water to go around. We can just water our lawn with it. And then she's like, and then I would see the water go off the lawn onto the into the streets. And we're just freaking out because Australia's, like, parts of Australia have been in a drought for fucking decades. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, huh, I never really thought about that before. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah, rain catchment, like, every house in so many houses in Oz have rain catchment. And they got their water tanks, like, right beside their house. Which I think everyone should do anyway. I think mm-hmm. it's a great thing to do. But, you know, it's funny, in some states... It's illegal to collect rainwater. Why? Why do you think that is? It's something to do with, uh, I don't think it's Monsanto, but it's some kind of weird thing. We can look it up later. Fact check. We don't have the fact checking ability at the moment here. Or I don't really want to spend the time. I don't want to pause it and everything. Um, what was one of your favorite spots while traveling? In this last big two-year voyage. India was awesome. India was eye-opening. And I feel like I hardly saw it because it's so big. And it every big. state is, like, actually a different country. A lot of fingers, too. Like, they're just, yeah. like, kind of branch off. Like, oh, that's part. It okay, definitely gets really. Yeah, there's a section that is, like, so skinny and it looks like it's cut off. And you just zoom in and it's like, oh, gosh, that's still India. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there's still more. Jesus. I'd say India and Burma. Burma, eh? Right yeah. on. Um, yeah. I guess that goes into the most memorable place and moment there. But it was a, actually, yeah, with the, a really good moment where you just kind of sat down and you're just like, whoa, I can't believe I'm here. Like, I'm here traveling and at the time with your partner. And it's just like, and I kind of, like, I've always had those kind of like, how did I get here kind of thing? Right. What brought me to this moment here? You look up at the sky, probably, you know, on the side of a road or something, and it's just like, see all the stars, and it's like, fuck, how did I get here? Yeah, it's tough to say. We're in the middle of the ocean kind of thing. That happened a lot. I was yeah. definitely by myself on watch, just like a full moon night on the open ocean is pretty crazy. You can just see forever. Um, that's a good pun. Um, yeah, I don't know. It happened a lot, bud. It happened so many times that we just, like, sitting there, we just popped our tent up. We just, like, jimmy-rigged our bikes so they could lean against each other. Okay, I think we're almost good. Yes, I know, we got to go start cooking soon, but I would just sit down. And I guess it's just, like, it's the fact that I'm sitting watching life, so I'm watching Cambodians doing them as if, like, I'm some sort of zoo-watching guy. Like, I'm just watching this sort of, you know, the zoo, and I'm just, like, geeking at it. I don't know. It happened a lot. It really did. I always love those moments where you witness something like say you're just like you're with the group and then you kind of hang out behind or you're way ahead or something that like you just sit down and wait for them and then you just see like this craziest thing happen mm. and you don't even tell them about it it's just it's just for you yeah it's a very intimate moment that's just for you yeah and like, i always find that with nature more so it does you're not like not, like, not really, oh yeah i just saw this woman get robbed <laughs> right <laughs> i don't tell anybody about that no no it's usually like when you're just sitting there and you see the wildlife come by or you see this, this fantastic it seems display. profound right like nature settings usually just yeah they do they have like this profoundness to them mm-hmm. for you so like it just like i'm just not sure if this happened or not but i just picture like you on watch and you see like a, a pot of whales come by or something like that yeah that'd be something spectacular to witness yeah, we had um we had a couple pods of dolphins that just followed the boat for a couple hours. Oh really? Oh man, I got so roasted just by the sun because I didn't realize how long I was just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm trying to find out the wording here. Uh, you know, a time where you swallowed your pride, you got bit in the ass. Where you were on, like in over your head, like you just thought you're like in, that sailing trip. Definitely I was going to say like that, that that sailing trip where you think you're like we're going to get stranded. Yeah, um, biting my pride. I'd say like 
something that happened quite a bit in a lot of Asia is you're obviously you're an anomaly. People are going to see this white person. There's two white people on a bicycle, and they're going to realize that they had just sort of snuck off in the woods, and there's a tent. Mm. They're going to be very curious, and that's totally okay, right? A lot of times, like after these different sort of interactions, I was just like, "Hey, Chris, from now on out, nobody knows where we are. We don't. We don't tell people we're camping. Not because danger. Not because just because it's it's easier if they don't know." Right. So a lot of times I have felt like I had to swallow my pride and just sort of like just roll the punches and be quiet is because people would just come up to us and either want to practice their English or most times they didn't have any English and would just be yapping, yapping in their language, not knowing that I don't know their language. Like they just didn't compete with them a lot of times. Like Mm -hmm. they could tell or they should have could like. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, you're, right? you're, you're exhausted. You're yeah. exhausted. And so there's a lot of times where I just had to swallow my pride and be like, I'm just going to listen to this guy. I'm just going to let him talk. He's going to let us camp here. He's going to leave us alone here soon. I'm telling you, Christina, we're fucking next time. We'd be a little more careful so that we can fucking sneak in here a little bit quicker and they don't have to see us and we don't have to have these silly conversations. That happened a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh for like a, an exotic spot, not so much, you know, no offense to the people of Hay River, but uh, what would you say your next uh, major destination will be? You know where we we're going to end the whole trip, what we were telling people back in Tassie, New Zealand, even a lot of Southeast Asia, we didn't even, we weren't going to India or Nepal mm-hmm. for most of the trip. We knew we were doing Southeast Asia. After that, we were probably in either Malaysia or Thailand. We were going to catch another sailboat and sail to Madagascar. Madagascar. That was going to be our final That would be incredible. That would have been about a four-month passage, so it would have been a super long trip. Yeah. Um, well, probably we a few island stops, like Seychelles. We would have probably stopped at... Christmas Island, Reunion Island. We probably would have stopped at Reunion, maybe Mauritius, and then, yeah, onward to... You have to ask Carla about a funny story about two guys from Re- Reunion Island. Oh, man, she's got Reunion Island people stories? I'd yeah, love to hear that. Well, we all kind of do from that one Hellasat crew. <laughs> Oh, okay. I gotcha. But Madagascar, eh? Yeah. It's kind of like, I've, I, don't, I've, I don't know, I've never even been to any country in Africa. I just think that Madagascar is kind of like the Tasmania of Australia. I would agree with that wholeheartedly, yeah. Yeah. It's got, like, crazy wildlife that's just endemic to only that Greenland. island. It's the Greenland of North America. It's mm. the Iceland of Europe. Mm. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's it. It's like the... It's it's the... It's the Easter... Not Easter Island. Um, the Galapagos of South America. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's an island that only has those kind of flora and fauna that's pretty much not found anywhere else. And just the insects, too. Like, yeah. I would love to see those gigantic moths. Oh, my gosh. They that's look the like thing. birds. That's the thing. We were so excited to go there for that. It was like, how many kinds of lemurs? How many kinds of chameleons? And the list goes on. And it looked like it would look like it would have been great for cycling, too. Like, it looked, it looked like it would have been pretty good for that. But, yeah, that's, I really would like to go to Madagascar but pretty much by the end of it once we found out like there's a couple other things in Nepal and India that were worth like sort of different yeah sort of commitments that we thought were better better worth spending our time on but we also were like you know what should you end should we end in Madagascar bet you it's not the cheapest place to fly out of Mm -hmm. you know so it would have been after getting all the way there to be like right now we're gonna spend three thousand dollars a ticket to get the fuck out of this place Mm -hmm. so that also was like the incentive to say maybe next time we'll do it so there you go i would love to go to madagascar one day one day right on well we're at about hour six i believe 
Yeah, or seven and a half. Perfect. There you go. Another hour just fucking crash day. Yeah. Like, you just forget about it. Anyway, so. thank you very much, Keegan. That was, those are some fucking stories, buddy. You spin a yarn, that's for sure. <laughs> maybe we'll do this again uh, next year if I see you from after the farming there. Or maybe we'll see each other uh, traveling somewhere. Hey, with Meet up in a hostel. That's what I'm hoping to do with uh, Pete. If I run into him to Europe, Europe I'll just be like, I'm all right, sure we're going to have a recording there, Pete. Sit down. Oh, okay. Oh, is it? Oh, 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 I'm going to make a joke. No, I don't. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, those are his mannerisms for sure. You guys will see one day, hopefully. Anyway, I'm Aaron Chalupa, the Chalupadabra. This has been Keegan Hind and his fantastic stories of traveling. How wonderful. And he's just polishing off a knife on his pant leg right now. Thank you for the opportunity to do a little talk there. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. You were a great guest. And man, it almost felt like Joe Rogan, where I'm just like, I'm going to let you do the talking for once. <laughs> so it was wonderful. All right, thanks a lot. Lately, my 30 podcast listeners and lovers, or actually, you know, kind of likers of the uh, awkward throat player. <laughs>